turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. The views and opinions expressed in the program are not necessarily those of this radio station or its sponsors and should not be construed as legal, tax, or investment advice. You should always consult the appropriate advisor before making any financial decision. All rights reserved. Now, AM 1220 KNOW presents New Focus on Wealth with certified financial planner Chad Burton. Drawing from his 20-year background in finance and investing to help you make sense of your money matters. New focus on wealth. Get a new focus on personal finance, wealth management, Wall Street, and the economy. Now your host for New Focus on Wealth, Chad Burton. Welcome into the show. I'm your host, Chad Burton, Certified Financial Planner. If you have a money question for the show, just shoot me an email. It's chad at chadburton.com. That's chad at chadburton.com. Well, let's talk about the hot topic right now, and that's inflation. I mean, most indicators showing that we've seen peak inflation, but at Jackson Hole, Federal Reserve Chair Jerome Powell delivered a very clear message that interest rates will remain high until inflation is under control. And at this point, to do that, it's really the unemployment rate has to go up. It's really about it. We've got this is causing global yields around the world to go up. So interest rates are going up around the world because the central banks trying to fight inflation. Japan is really the only holdout at this point. And those types of headlines are bigger than the economic impact of the student debt relief. So while I'm happy for people that are going to be able to take advantage of this, um, if we look at what is the... You've got... It's it's so odd to think about this where you've got the Federal Reserve trying to slow the economy and then you've got this situation, which is stimulus. It's really, really a mixed message here. And I think that, you know, you've already seen kind of the divisiveness of this. You've got the the, the government just continuing to pump money into a system that inflation is an issue here. Now, what does this look like? If you look at way back to December 2020 when everybody got $600 checks that met the the income requirements, that was about $164 billion of stimulus. And then in March of 2021, there was the $1,400 checks slash credits. That was $394 billion of stimulus. And the the, uh, student loan forgiveness is going to be anywhere from $250 to you know, on up, depending on how much you can get up to 25,000 of student loan forgiveness, depending on the type of loans you have and the income. Um, but then there's, there's also a lot of, I don't know, argument in terms of who's going to benefit from this. Um, so you do have a situation here where the Federal Reserve is trying to raise rates to slow down the economy, slow inflation, and then you've got some stimulus by the government. So just kind of odd. Um, we take a look at the stock market right now as we're recording this 
show uh, pre-market open on August 31st. SP 500 is down 14.6 for the year. The bond market, if we look at the Barclays US aggregate bond market, ETF AGG, down 10.32%. It has been a wild ride on interest rates. Uh, at the beginning of the month, August 1st, the 10-year treasury is about 2.6%. And today at the market open, it's 3.12%. And it peaked out last time at about mm, a little over 3.5% on mid-June or so. Um, so you start to get people to start buying uh, bonds again at these rates. Um, and then when you get the 10-year treasury up to 4% plus, it starts to get to be a competition with the stock market. And that's what you're going to see. So it's been it's been a bit of a roller coaster on the stock market because of the talk of, okay, we've got interest rates, but then the Fed's going to calm down because inflation is coming down. And then the market looked past that. It rallied back up to the idea that it's going to be a mild recession. And so far it is. GDP uh, fell 1.6% or so in the first quarter. Things get revised over and over again. In the second quarter, you know, I've seen... 0.6 to 0.9 decline on GDP. So two quarters in a row technically constitutes a recession. So, so far it's been mild and, and that's been the thought. You do have the inflation, but you have a really strong labor market. Um, the ideas of a recession are this decline in GDP. That's gross domestic products, basically a measure of all goods and services in the country, whether or not that can be done correctly in kind of the gig economy now is a question. A decline in real income, um, which is real income if you have, you know, here's what I earn, but my income went up, but inflation went up even faster. A rise in unemployment hasn't really happened yet. Stagnation of industrial production and retail sales. Uh, a decline in consumer spending. That's happened at the lower end for sure. And the, the But the labor market is very strong. Where you're going to see layoffs is... In, let's say, the mortgage industry, you're going to see people that got into real estate as a real estate agent um, are, are, you know, those, those types of jobs are, are where layoffs are going to occur. Other financial institutions, new home sales down 15% and mortgage apps are down 21% last time I looked. Um, in the financial industry, you're going to see it, not for certified financial planners, though. I am telling you, if you if you've got kids going into college, they're wondering what to do. They're interested in you know investing in financial planning, personal financial planning degree programs. I mean, there is such a huge demand. If you're a certified financial planner, just check out EP Wealth, our website. We have open positions. So if you're a good certified financial planner, shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com because there's a huge demand for good certified financial planners. But in other areas of finance, especially around mortgages and things like that, that's where you're going to see some layoffs. And also some of the smaller tech companies that have anything to do with uh, selling a physical product, for example, because of contract cancellations, the force majeure that I've talked about in the past, where it's like, hey, if here's your contract for what we're providing to you for the next you know, a couple of years at these rates. But if there's an act of God or a, a war, then we can get out of the contract. And that's happening so that larger companies can keep their better customers and more profitable customers. Uh, you're also seeing some venture funds kind of drying up. So companies that have no profit, um, you know, startups that are not near 
profitability, it, it's going to be a tough go raising money here in the in the next few years. Um, we are we will return back to growth, but it's it, we're going we're not out of the woods yet. We're we're in a slower growth economy right now because of inflation. Um, but again, it's probably not going to be a real rough one for investors because job openings unexpectedly rose to 11.2 million. Um, so when the news feels awful and you go into an environment where, you know, Hey, is this, we we're, we're, we might go through a tough market still here in the next six to 12 months. It's a great time to average in cash. It's when the sales occur, the market is down, things are on sale. And if people have stayed in cash, I just met somebody the other day that, had almost everything they invested and they were about ready to retire, but they had cashed out about five years ago. They got scared five years ago for some reason. And they've missed out on a 79% rate of return. Even after this recent correction that we've had, they've missed out on a 79% total return from the S&P 500 over the last five years. That is, I mean, this, that's huge. The market is positive 70% of the time, negative 30% of the time. Over a 20-year period, it's probably going to average around 10 11%. The average decline when the market is down is around 13%. That's about where we're sitting. It's been kind of a wild ride on the market, right? In mid-June or so, we were down about, what, 20 22% or so. And we rallied way back up. The market just a few weeks ago was only down about 8 or 9%. Now it's down 14%. These things happen. Recessions tend to happen every five to seven years. And as long as you have a plan for safe money in retirement, dividends and interest in retirement, the proper distribution strategy, you're going to be okay. You've got to prepare your portfolio for retirement at least around five years prior to when you retire. And then you'll get, if, if you know you're prepared for the downturns, you have the proper amount of safe money, dividends and interest in your portfolio then you won't make these mistakes where you're like, oh, I got to get out. It's, it's different this time. I'm going to go all cash. And then this person misses out on a 79% rate of return. Ugh, that's got to be painful. Uh, you can shoot your email questions to me for the show too. Chad at chadburton.com. What to do with a large amount of cash? Um, if you get towards the tops of economies and things like that, you have... Um, liquidation events, for example, or people are, I mean, we've got baby boomers, what, 10,000 a day turning 65. So that era is inheriting money from their parents. And so all of a sudden people went from, oh man, how am I ever going to retire with, ooh, I've got a large amount of cash. Somebody left me. So what do you do when you have some sort of a windfall? Even maybe it's winning the lottery. Um. First thing that you need to do is is create a new budget based on what is the safe amount to spend. Because lump sums can really kind of screw people up if they don't really plan properly. Because if you inherit a couple million dollars that you've never had, people tend to spend, 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 spend before taking a step back and saying, okay, how is this going to change my life forever versus... Right now, you hear all of these stories about lottery winners that are bankrupt after a few years because they don't do this. You got to kick back and say, okay, here's my current budget. I know I have a windfall here. What is the safe amount of spending? If I do a very conservative projection 
of returns, let's say use 5.5% with 3% inflation, for example. Uh, so very mediocre slash, you know, rough rate of return, kind of like if you invested from 2007 to 2017, right? With the great recession involved there. What does that look like? What's a safe level of spending where you still have plenty of money to support a long-term care stay and live till age 100, right? What do you put in that budget though? So here's your existing budget. Here's the safe spending level. What do you have to still put in that budget? You got to remember that you're going to pay taxes on your new money, right? If you have a large amount of cash that you're going to invest, typically you're going to have three years worth of portfolio draws still in safe money. FDIC insured bank, you can get one and a half to 2% on your cash now in online FDIC insured banks. That interest rate is taxable. Then you're going to have the rest of your portfolio and some, a mix of tax-free bonds, maybe some taxable bonds. You're going to have uh, dividends and interest from mutual funds, ETF stocks that are in your portfolio. You're going to have a certain amount of turnover or capital gains in your portfolio as well. So there's going to be a certain level of taxes that you have to realize that you're going to pay on your portfolio. Then you've got to remember once you turn 72, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs, 401ks, and things like that. So that money is going to flow in and you're going to pay taxes on that. Guess what? You're also going to pay taxes on your Social Security. Most people uh, that have investable assets and can afford to retire, typically 85% of their Social Security is taxable. Now, there is a new bill floating around the Senate right now to try to repeal that, but it also is going to increase payroll taxes up to a much higher level to help shore up Social Security. But it's a double taxation situation. Social Security comes out of our paychecks as a tax, and then we pay taxes on it again in retirement up to 85%. The other area that you're going to have to build into your budget is healthcare costs. Healthcare costs between now and age 65. And if you're in California and want to know what that costs, just go to Cover California, the website. And look at the platinum plan. So typically you leave your job, you can get COBRA for 18 months. And then after that, you're on your own. And you're looking at, you know, what's interesting though, is that it's based on your income and you can have a large portfolio and a low taxable income. So you can kind of get some assistance there, which is odd. That is the case. The other thing is IRMA. So when you turn 65, you get Medicare Part A, Medicare Part B, you have to pay for. And if you start making over 90, a single or 180 married finally jointly, then you start to pay a lot more on your Medicare Part B premiums. And you still have your supplemental insurance, your Part D, your co-pays and all that kind of stuff. The other thing you have to build into your budget, what about a new car every so often? Or a perpetual lease payment if you like to get a new car every three years? That's one that people leave out all the time. The other one that people leave out of their budget, home maintenance, remodels every so often. I still remember walking into my grandparents, like an early memory, and they had the green shag carpet and the avocado colored appliances. And that was modern. That was modern at one point. Oranges and greens and green shag and and wood panel on the walls, let alone wallpaper. (laughs) So... Those types of things, you know, you need home maintenance and remodel. You need, you know, sometimes you have to put a new roof on your home and things like that. Then you have kids, grandkids, you got college, college weddings, 529 plan gifts, 
all that kind of stuff needs to be built in before you go overspend and you buy one, two, three vacation homes, your new car, and you know you want to show that you now have money. You need to set to take a step back and rebudget. Here's what I'm spending now. Here's my windfall. Here's a safe level of spending minus taxes on my portfolio, minus taxes on social security and, and healthcare costs, minus home maintenance and all those things that you're thinking about. And you've got to really do this before you start investing the money. Also, what debt should you keep and what debt should you pay off? What's interesting is I remember talking just, I don't know, about five or six months ago to a couple and they were both doctors doing really, really well, but they had all sorts. I mean, looking at the the different no, the number of student debts, I think there was about 20 different loans that they had taken throughout their career uh, or throughout their you know college and med school. Uh, it, it, it was a lot. And we're trying to sit down and say, these are the ones that you should pay off, you should keep, but you should probably pay all of them off because there's a chance that, you should, that there might be some debt forgiveness. Now, in this case, they're going to make too much money to get anything out of this college debt forgiveness situation. What debt should you keep and what debt should you pay off? What is your tax return going to look like now? Are you truly going to have a tax benefit from your mortgage or are you simply taking the standard deduction and you're not getting a tax benefit from the mortgage? So what debt should you keep and what debt should you pay off? So it's time to reset. It's time to take a step back and say, all right, um, how long is this money going to last based on my new budget? I want to make sure I have enough money left over till I'm age 100. And if I spend some time in a nursing home, which is if you hit the age of 70, there's like a 65% chance you're going to spend some time in a nursing home. And women tend to stay longer than men. Men go in, I think it's more often, but die sooner. Whereas women go in and you know they tend to stay like my grandmother in memory care. I think she was there for 12 years before she passed away. And that pretty much blew through all their assets that they had saved up. So you've got to, you've got to do your budget. You've got to realize, okay, this is my expenses minus my social security and pensions. Um, uh, do I have any real estate goals in terms of rental properties, second homes and things like that? Say hello to a pass that gives you endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. You might call it the suitcases always packed pass or the wait. I get to choose from 100,000 trips pass. The will it be the beach, city, mountains, or all free pass. Or you could just call it what we call it, the Inspirato Pass. Endless travel for $2,500 per month with no nightly rates, taxes, or fees. Learn more at inspiratopass.com. Talking about what to do if you come into a lump sum of money, a large amount of cash. Maybe it's from liquidation event from your company. Maybe it's you inherit it. And just resetting, here's your existing budget. You know you can increase your budget because you have this newfound wealth. But what's a safe level? Can you truly afford to retire when we're in an inflationary environment, yet interest rates are still at a historically low level? Interest rates are so much lower. I've been in the business for 29 years this month. And when I got into the business, it was pretty easy to get 6 7% in bonds, just as income from your bonds. Now the 10-year treasury is down at yielding 3.12%. And so you have to invest. It used to be 40% stocks, 60% bonds. That's flipped. And then even the 40% in bonds, you have to be a little bit more creative and a couple more alternatives in a 60-40 portfolio than we used to have in the past to be able to support a you know 4% draw rate in retirement. 
So you have to be realistic about this stuff. Now, if you come into a lump sum and you're still working, right? You realize, okay, I've, I've come into a lump sum. My retirement's saved, but I still do need to work a bit. Now you can max out 401k options. We talk about the mega Roth 401k where, you know, a lot of these companies, whether it's, um, you know, Cisco, Apple, Microsoft, uh, Intuit, KLA, um, all these companies that allow people to first max out their, their pre-tax deferral. Then you get a company match. And then there's another amount that you can put into the post-tax 401k that gets converted to the Roth 401k automatically. And so you, you can put away a ton of money. If you're self-employed, you can combine an individual 401k plan with a defined benefit plan. And I have people that put away over a hundred grand a year pre-tax. Right. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. But so that's an option too. You got, you got to say, okay, I've, I've got newfound wealth. What are my saving vehicles that are available to me? So I can defer some current income and live off of my newfound wealth. Did you inherit the money? If you inherited the money, are you inheriting stock or real estate? If so, there's probably a step up in basis. Most, you know, even if your parents had a living trust, a lot of times there is a survivor trust and a family or a bypass trust. The stuff in the survivor trust, the second death, gets a step up in basis and the kids can sell everything tax-free. Bypass trust, nope. That's not a step up in basis. You might have assets that do not have a step up in basis. And if you sell them, you will pay taxes. Are you inheriting an IRA or an annuity? If so, you know, IRAs, if you do and roll it into an inherited IRA, you have 10 years that you have to pay the taxes. Annuity, it depends on how the beneficiaries are written. Sometimes it's within five years, sometimes it's over your lifetime. So you have to realize what you are inheriting. Typically, any estate tax, if they're you know over $12 million, uh, that's paid at the estate level before it comes to you. So most of the time when people inherit money, unless it's an IRA or annuity, it's most cases, it's you know, going to be income tax-free. So you, but you have to know. You have to get an idea before you start spending money and buying your second homes and things like that. What are the tax consequences? If all of the cash came from a liquidation event, like uh, you know, a company was purchased or whatever it may be, uh, large stock option or company sale, make sure you're realizing whether or not you qualify for the qualified small business stock exclusion. That's a tax benefit that applies to eligible shareholders of a qualified small business. Um, if basically founder shares, right? So founding, investing in, and going to work for a startup by by nature is riskier. So the QSBS selection or exclusion rather is one way to encourage people to take that risk. Right. So realize, you know, get get some good. Before you start doing a bunch of stuff with your money, you get a good team, right? Get a certified financial planner that's a fiduciary fee only, doesn't sell product. Um, you need a good CPA, good attorney, right? What are you going to do with your extra time? If you had enough of a windfall, so you could, you know, hey, I, I can walk in. I can say I'm retiring. I'm out of here. Bye. Uh, what are you going to do with your extra time? Because some people go crazy. If, if people don't have a plan for what they're going to do in retirement, they don't enjoy it. 
what happens is they end up sitting there bored. They watch CNBC all day. Then they start looking at their portfolio's volatility on a daily basis. Their risk tolerance goes all over the place. And, and they kind of go crazy. You have to stay busy in retirement. So what are you going to do with your extra time? As I've said before, you got to focus on diet, health, and fitness. So you're not spending your 70s and 80s constantly going to the doctor and get you out of bed. It gets a purpose. It's everything going for the day. And then you got relationships that you have to build outside of work, time with the family, all that kind of stuff. You've got to have a plan for your extra time. And like I said, when people quit working, whether it's a windfall or they're ready for retirement, your risk tolerance is going to drop. People go from, I'm an aggressive investor. These market declines don't bother me because I just try to buy more. Things change when you go from putting money into your 401k every two weeks when you get paid and watching your wealth grow to, I've retired, I'm you know 65 years old, and this lump sum of money has to support me for 35 years potentially. And so market swings tend to bother people more when they do are retired and they're focused on the value of what they've created over their lifetime. And again, the risk tolerance drops even more if people are bored and they're focused on the market every day. Watching garbage like the you know CNBC and you got seven people on the screen. The market thinks, the market this, the market that, as if the market is a living, breathing person. <laughs> so just it's so annoying. Um, so your risk tolerance is going to drop. You got to be prepared for that. And so things like this, I mean, again, the market was down almost 22% in mid-June. Then a couple of weeks ago, it was only down only 9% on what around August 15th, and now it's down 14.6% again. So you go through periods of time where there's a lot of volatility, right? Now, what do you do in a situation like this? What do you do when the market's down? How do you make some positives out of it? Well, number one, tax loss harvesting. So what does that mean? You know I'm not a fan of timing the market. You, you pick a portfolio structure that you like. You have a certain amount of safe money in retirement. Going all in and all out is a fool's game because, um, I mean, you would have missed out on that big rally between mid-June and, and August 15th if you would have cashed out when the market was down 22%. And that, turns, that would have turned paper losses into real losses. But you can do tax loss harvesting. When you own certain stocks, mutual funds, or ETFs, you can sell stuff that shows a loss on paper and go into something different and stay out of what you sold for at least 30 days. And then you can accumulate these losses that you can offset future gains, or maybe you're selling real estate or a business in the future. You can offset that as well. It's harvesting losses, staying invested, but tax loss harvesting your taxable account. The other thing is that if you've run your financial plan, and you know that in the future, your tax brackets are going to go up. Because remember, in 2026, we're going to see a lot of these tax cuts of 2027 or 2017 expire. And at age 72, you have to start taking money out of your IRAs, 401ks, 403bs, you know, those retirement plans. If you run a financial plan and you see that your brackets are going to go up in the future, well, you should start doing IRA to Roth conversions now. For those that have retired early, like let's say you retire at 60, Doing it before Medicare kicks in is really attractive because 
when you turn 65 and you go on Medicare, Medicare Part B, they're going to look at your tax return from when you were 63. And that determines on how much you're going to pay for Medicare Part B premiums. But then you can still do it all the way up until you're, you know, through age 71. IRA to Roth conversions. What a better time to move money from your IRA, pay taxes on it now, move it to a Roth where it's going to go tax-free forever. And you're doing it at a discount because the stock market is down. So you can look at your brackets towards the end of the year. Best time to do this typically around November, but with the market being down, you know, start looking at it now. And pick a certain amount with your advisor and your CPA that goes from your IRA to the Roth, pay the taxes on it now. So it grows tax-free for the rest of your life and it reduces your taxes and required minimum distributions in the future. Speaking of taxes, check your estimated taxes. Um, A lot of people paid a lot of capital gains last year. And if your situation uh, this year is much different, much less in capital gains or income, you can always adjust your final payment, your estimated tax payment in November. Another issue, speaking of taxes, Got an email. It is a little bit of a long one, but um, I'm going to go through this in the in the break in terms of some options. But long story short, somebody was asking about selling a rental property in it was a condo in Walnut Creek, and one of the reasons why is because the HOA got moved to the Philippines, where essentially when they have to deal with something with the HOA, they're calling an outfit in the Philippines calling a company an outfit. I can't believe I said that. It sounded like my grandfather. They're calling a company in the Philippines that's actually the HOA now. And so it was. they were kind of annoyed. It was a little bit of an emotional situation. You know, should I just sell this thing and pay the taxes? Well, there's a lot of options when you have rental properties. Because when you sell a rental property, there's capital gains and state income taxes. If you live in California or Oregon, for example, on the difference between what you paid for it, any major capital improvements, and the value that you sell it for. There's the capital gains and the state taxes if you live in a state, like I said, California, Oregon. But also your depreciation that you took on your tax return over all those years is recaptured at 25%. It's talking a little bit about what you could do with real estate. So I got an email and essentially there's a situation where somebody said, hey, I've got a paid off condo in Walnut Creek and maybe I kind of want to sell it. You can sell it and pay the taxes. So if you've owned real estate for a long time and you're just over it, right? The first thing you have to do is like, should you be over it? You know, is this a good deal or not? And if you run the numbers and in this, it's really easy to do when your property is paid off, right? You say, okay, what's my net income from this thing? And if you take your, your net income and divide it by what you could sell it for, you get an idea of what the yield is. You know, what's my, what's my income? And if it's, you know, below 4%, you're probably like, yeah, I could probably do better elsewhere, right? Over that, you start to say, okay, well, how's the area? Is it going to continue to grow? It, you know, it's better income than bonds right now. Where am I going to put the money if I do sell it and pay the taxes, which are capital gains, state and federal? And then your depreciation recaptured at 25%. So what are the other options? Well, you could 1031 exchange it to somewhere new, right? Where, you know, prior to putting the place up for sale, you get everything set up for a 1031 exchange where you have a certain amount of time to identify up to three properties. And then you've got a certain amount of time to close where you can take a a rental property, sell it and transfer it into another rental property for the same or greater value. And 
avoid paying taxes, but get into something new. And maybe you just find a better place, you know, better income or better area for growth. You can always 1031 exchange it to a DST, that's Delaware Series Trust situation where essentially you own a percentage of property or group of properties um, where you just kick back, take the income, and you've got somebody else that's managing the entire thing for you. Um, so that there's some benefits where, hey, I don't have to be a property manager. I don't have anything to do. I'm just going to kick back and get the income. But there's also a loss of control, right? You're not the essentially the decision maker anymore. But there are some good options out there if you're just done managing the property. You could always do a 1031 exchange to a place that you eventually want to live. So you could do a 1031 exchange from your rental property to a place where you eventually want to live. You can rent it out for a while, you know, over a year, and then eventually just move into it. That's an option. Then you take your, you know, exclusion if you're you know, 250 to half a million if you're married on your primary residence eventually. That type of thing. You can always, you know, if you're in California or Washington community property states, when you're in a state like that, that, when the first person passes away in a marriage, if it's community property, the entire value gets a step up in basis, right? So you can always wait until your first, until one of the spouses passes away. It's, just, it's a bad thing that I'm saying. It's like ugh, kind of creepy, but then, then sell at that point. You get a whole new, you know, you get a whole new option in a community property state when the first spouse dies. So you can wait as well. Or if you have, you know, an estate tax issue along with an idea that I want to leave a certain amount of money to charity and I want to still create income, but I want to, I'd rather get this into a regular portfolio than a rental property. You could always do a charitable remainder trust where you gift the asset, get a tax deduction, sell it, Avoid current taxation. You just pay the taxes. You draw money out over time, somewhere between 5 and 7% of the portfolio. But you can avoid that upfront tax hit and pay it over time instead and, and achieve some charitable goals and achieve some estate planning goals. That is an option. So all sorts of options out there for, for those that uh, are, are trying to deal with real estate right now. It's an interesting market, right? You got certain markets that are have topped out the income is not great in terms of what's my what's my yield on this investment right what is my net income that i'm getting out of this but as we go through this situation where interest rates are rising mortgage rates are rising there will be some good deals on properties for those that have cash usually on real estate investing you want to do some leverage right you want you only want to use you know 20, 30% of your own money and leverage the rest to get a property that produces positive cash flow. But that's hard to do when prices are elevated and interest rates have gone up. So it'll be kind of those situations where there's going to be some good deals on real estate out there coming up in the future. But it's, it's going to be more of a you know cash is king type of a situation. I also was going to talk about on the show, I didn't leave enough time for it, but uh, individual... For those tax issues for self-employed, because I mentioned individual 401k combined with defined benefit plans. Um, real quickly before we end, because we're coming up on the end of the year where people start thinking about these things. If you're self-employed, that you know you're you're 
by yourself or with a spouse. You don't have a bunch of employees. You have an individual 401k plan. Most of the time, an individual 401k is, is the best plan that you can get. It's better than a SEP IRA. Better than a SEP IRA. It's got a salary deferral plus the SEP IRA type of a profit sharing option. But I, I swear a majority of the time I see I review tax returns. Um, CPAs often get this wrong in terms of an individual 401k. And the other thing that self-employed people need to figure out is the salary deferral piece can go pre-tax or Roth in an individual 401k plan. But before you make that profit sharing contribution, whether it's an individual 401k or SEP IRA, make sure you find out if you're self-employed, if you're qualifying for the section 199A deduction that's out there. Because a lot of times making that contribution reduces that that uh, self-employed um, tax deduction, essentially. And so find out if you're, a, if you're getting that Section 199A before you make those contributions. A couple of things that I've talked about in the show, what to do if you have a large amount of cash, whether it's an inheritance or a liquidation event. If you want a checklist for that, I've got a flowchart for that. Just shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com. Or if you're self-employed, I'll hit this topic a little bit more in depth on another show. And you're trying to figure out what type of plan is right for me. I also have a flow chart for that. So shoot me an email, chat at chadburton.com, chat at chadburton.com. That's where you can find several other downloads as well. You can find links to the podcast, whether it's on iTunes or some of the other platforms. And you can shoot me an email and request an appointment with our team. We've got a team of over 80 certified financial planner practitioners. Thanks for listening. Please tell a friend about the show.